Was that a pivotal historical moment we just went stumbling past? Well, here we are, dancing in the rumbling dark. So come a little closer, give me something to grasp. Give me your beautiful, crumbling heart. We're working every dread day that is given us. Feeling like the person people meet really isn't us. Like we're gonna buckle underneath the trouble. Like any minute now, the struggle's gonna finish us. And then we smile at all our friends. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station. Cause I can see your faces. There is so much peace to be found in people's faces. I love people's faces. That video that we just showed you is a Facebook ad that I happened to see on television just a few days ago. I have to admit, when I first saw it, I teared up because it's a powerful representation of the hurt that so many people are going through in our world right now, the strength and resolve that we are witnessing, and the hope that we find when we lean upon each other. The narrator says, I love people's faces, and I couldn't agree more. I love seeing in person the faces of the people in our church family. And while I can't do that now, I love seeing those faces on social media. And more than that, I love what God is doing in the body of Christ. Hope is rising right now. And I hope that you see that. I hope that you're experiencing it. It is inspiring. As I've said before, it's not that God is doing a work in spite of what's going on in the world. It's that God is doing a work because of and through what's going on in the world right now. And so many of you are responding in faith. And so I applaud you. And this is a great, great weekend for us to celebrate the risen hope of our Savior. So I want to talk to you today about letting hope rise, and I want to talk to you about the hope that is greater than the hope that we find in our human capabilities and in the common humanity that we see and share, although that is strong and powerful. There is a stronger hope. There is a more powerful hope. There is an eternal hope and a permanent hope that is rooted in God himself that we have received here at Easter time. And I want us to talk about the hope that was risen on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago as we mark this moment this week when Jesus was crucified, when he was buried in the tomb, and when he rose from the grave. So as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I want us to look at a story in the New Testament of another person who had a resurrection himself. There are three times in the New Testament where it records that Jesus raised people from the dead. The third time is in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44, and it's the story of Lazarus. It's a familiar story. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're looking in verses 1 through 44, and if you have the church app, you can follow along with us in the notes that are included there. This event is so amazing. It's an astonishing supernatural miracle in the middle of which Jesus makes the claim that he has the power 
over death in the grave. And he makes that claim and he proves that claim by raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, in the story, there are really four components and four elements to the story. And it's a rather long story. So I'm going to share with you these elements and I'm going to read some of the verses. I'm going to skip past some and just tell you the story. But the four components to the story are, first of all, the setting. And then we're going to see Martha's response to what's going on, Mary's reaction to what's going on. And then finally, we're going to look at the miracle itself and we're going to come to understand for ourselves what it means for us here on this Easter. So look in verses 1 through 5, and let's read it together. Verses 1 through 5 of John chapter 11. Here's what it says. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived in this village called Bethany, and Jesus visited there often. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, the Apostle John is helping us to make sure that we know which Mary is being talked about here in this passage. You may remember the event, this moment where Mary fell at the feet of Jesus, just overwhelmed with sorrow and weeping at his feet. It was an act of repentance and an act of worship. And she cried and she anointed his feet uh, with oil, with ointment. And as she was crying, she recognized this awkwardness of her tears getting the feet of Jesus wet, and so she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And and that was that amazing moment where Jesus redeemed her and forgave her. And from that day on, she followed Jesus. This is the Mary that is being talked about here. And it goes on to say, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, over and over again throughout this whole passage, we're going to see responses where it is described that Jesus loves Lazarus, and he loves Mary, and he loves Martha. It goes on in verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then it says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So let's talk about this trio for just a moment, this family. They lived again in Bethany. Jesus would stay at their home there in Bethany. He became very close friends with them, and they followed him for much of his public ministry. So this one that Jesus loves becomes ill, and he dies. Now, it's important to understand there's a time gap going on here, because Jesus is actually located in a village that's 15 to 20 miles away from Bethany, which would be a one-day's journey. So what we learn from the scripture is that there are messengers that are sent from Bethany to this village where Jesus is. It takes them a day to travel there. Jesus receives this news, and he knows supernaturally that Lazarus has now died. And that's why he makes the statement, this illness is not one that leads to death, because he knows already that he is going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. So instead of rushing back to Bethany, the Bible tells us that Jesus stays two more days in this village before leaving to go see Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, skip down to verse 17. Let's think about Martha's response here, okay? And look at this, and there's some things that we can learn for ourselves based upon it. Verse 17 says, When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb already for four days. So let's look at the timeline. 
Day one, messengers are dispatched. Lazarus is ill. Messages, messengers are dispatched from Bethany to Jesus. But soon after, likely soon after the messengers leave the city of Bethany, Lazarus dies. Day two and three, Jesus stays where he is for two more days, the Bible tells us. Day four, he departs to Bethany and he arrives there and he sees that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So he is dead. <laughs> And now skip down to verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. The reason that this is important is that Bethany was on a road that led to Jerusalem. It was a very public place. And so this miracle, not only Lazarus' death, but this miracle by Jesus would be seen by many, many people. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha went out to see Jesus. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A very natural response, right? God, Jesus, you could have done something about this. But she goes on to make a statement of faith, verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, let's skip down to verse 32 and look at Mary's reaction. She has somewhat of the same response. Verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same response. When Jesus saw her weeping, please listen to this part. It's very important. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. There is a visceral reaction by Jesus to what's going on. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible is Jesus wept. And the Bible says that Jesus was deeply troubled and that he wept. And some would say, well, why would Jesus be tr troubled? Why would he be in despair? Was, was he hopeless at this point? I want to say to you, of course not. No, he was not hopeless. He wept not because of a lack of hope in what was going on, but because of the empathy that he felt for those who were mourning the death of Lazarus. Have you ever had someone cry, not just with you, but cry for you? Who cried because you cried? Not because they had experienced a loss, but because you had experienced a loss. And because of your loss, you were hurting. And because you were hurting, they were hurting. Years ago, my younger brother suddenly passed away. And people from this church family traveled all the way to Dallas to sit with me during the funeral. And they cried with me. And they cried for me. Because they knew that I was hurting, they hurt too. This is true love. This is pure love. This is what friends do. And this is what we see with Jesus. We see that in our high priest, in our high priest, we have this sympathy and this empathy where he sympathizes with us 
with us in our weaknesses. And he loves us. And he is moved with emotion here. And it reminds us, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves you. And that same emotion that he felt for Lazarus and Martha and Mary for the disciples. And for that moment where he sat on the hill looking over the city of Jerusalem, weeping and saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you would come to me. That kind of love that he felt for them is the same love that he feels for you and me. God loves you. And it's not just a nice sentiment. He loves us. And when he works in our life, his actions are motivated by this love. So let's move on. And let's look at the miracle itself down in verses 40 through 44. Let's read it together. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. That is, they took away the stone from the entrance of the grave. The grave was a cave. Back in the first century, this is how they buried people, in small caves. They took away the stone from the grave. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people who are standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine this moment? Folks, this is a moment in history. This is not legend. This is not just fable. This is a moment in history. This jaw-dropping, breath-gasping moment where they saw Lazarus rise from the dead and walk out of that grave. And again, this is an astonishing miracle that supports the claim of Jesus when he said, I am the resurrection and life. He proves his power over death. And a few days later, after this, he would be crucified and he himself would be buried. And he would actually prove that claim again by his own very public and literal bodily resurrection from the dead. Here's Jesus. is God in the flesh manifesting power over the grave. He was who he said he was. So what I want to do is I want to go back to the claim that's in the center of this very passage. Now, we didn't read it, but now I want us to look at it. And it's found in verses 25 through 27. This is the pivotal part of this story and the key passage. Here's what it says. Jesus said to her, listen to what he's saying. I am the resurrection and the life. Not just that I have power over death. I am, it's an I am statement. I am the resurrection. I am the very power over death and sin and the grave. I'm the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That promise is for you too. And it's for me. That though we die, yet shall we live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? If you read the story, she responds, 
positively, yes, I believe that you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah who is coming into the world. That's what she says. Her faith was substantiated by what Jesus did here in this moment. So as you think about that claim, think about this, this remarkable claim that the Son of God would make, that he is the resurrection and the life. In our church, in our church, we believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. We believe that not because we got together and said to ourselves, this will be a nice thing to believe. This would be a pretty thing to believe. We believe it for some very objective, factual reasons. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because there are eyewitnesses, first century accounts, men and women who had every reason at that point in time not to believe in his resurrection, but who witnessed it and who gave their very lives because of it. And they preached this message so that it would spread around the world. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because of fulfilled prophecy about him and who he was. Hundreds of prophecies separated by hundreds of years that were fulfilled in Jesus. Prophecies about his birth, about the kind of life he would live, the kind of death that he would die, and about his resurrection. We believe in his resurrection because of fulfilled prophecy. We believe in the resurrection because of dozens, possibly hundreds, of public miracles. Not miracles that are tucked away in private alleys, but miracles that were very public for many, many to see that Jesus performed. We believe He is the Son of God, and He was risen from the grave because of these miracles that He performed. We believe in the resurrection because of the historical and archaeological and literary and rational reliability of the New Testament and its writers, that what we have documented here in the Scripture is a record of what really took place in history, and it is reliable for you and me, and it's truth. We believe in the resurrection because throughout human history, the best and brightest minds, great human thinkers, came to the point where they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Brilliant men and women who were not under some spell, who were not hallucinating, but who gave themselves to the Savior and bowed and worshipped at his feet. We believe because of people like that. But we believe also, we believe in the resurrection because only one consistent with, with, with the nature of God would, would love in such a selfish and sacrificial way. Only God himself could love as Jesus loved, as the innocent, pure Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for our sins. We believe in the resurrection because we believe that he is a God of love. All these reasons, we believe in the resurrection and one more. We believe that he rose from the grave because he lives within us. He changed us. And that change is real. It's not made up. It's not fake. Our lives have been redirected. Our hearts have been reshaped. Our priorities have been redefined. Our sin has been redeemed. Our very nature has been recreated. Our eternity has been reversed. He is alive and I believe it because he is alive in me. He has changed my life. And he's changed my eternity. And I will forever be grateful. It's the reason that we get excited about a week like this. Because it has made the difference in our lives. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. So let me come back to what Jesus asked Martha. This question stands, listen, this question is so profound, it stands at the center of history. 
It's a question which every man, woman, and child must seek to ask and answer because the answer of it determines life itself and eternity. Here's the question. Do you believe? Do you believe? There are two possible responses to this. If you say, yes, I believe, then what I want to say to you is let hope rise. Let hope rise. Believer, let hope rise in your prayers. Let hope rise in your worship. Let hope rise in your tears. Let hope rise as you refuse to give up and give in. Let hope rise as you look to the needs of fellow humans. Let it well up within you. It is there. It belongs in you. It is there in you right now. Not after this crisis, but during this crisis. Hope is not on pause. Hope has not been canceled. Hope is not quarantined. Now is the time for hope because now, not when things are easy and comfortable, is the time that hope actually makes a difference and that it matters. And I've seen this happen time and time again just recently where hope has risen within the hearts of individual believers. I talked to a man last week whose salary has been dramatically decreased because his workload has been decreased because of the virus. And he said, we're going to be okay. He said, I have peace. It's tough. We're having to cut it back. We're having to work the money situation. But God is in control. Hope is rising within that man. I have a friend whose 26-year-old daughter caught coronavirus. And she was in the hospital for five days. She had the virus for like 16 days but in the hospital for five days. And I happened to talk to her on day three of the hospital stay. They could not even go and visit their daughter in the hospital. Could barely talk to her because she had pneumonia. She was having respiratory issues. She was desperately praying. And I talked to her and she said, we're troubled, but we have peace. Hope was rising within her. I talked also just recently, all these things that are going on. I talked to an adult son whose mom was a single mom for most of her life. And she raised her son. He's now an adult. And they were really best of friends, the only child. And she just passed away a few days ago. And he said, I have peace because I know where my mom is. And I know where... Uh, where I'm going to see her again. I know I'm going to be with her again at some point. So hope was rising within him. This is the difference that the resurrection makes. No power in heaven, no power in earth, no power in hell has ultimate victory over those who belong to Jesus. And right now, we can let hope rise in that way. 2,000 years ago, hope rose at Easter. And in 2020, hope is rising again at Easter. So if you say, yes, I believe, let hope rise. The second possible response to the question, do you believe, is no. No, I haven't believed, not up to this point. Well, I want to say to you that now is the time. And that God has arranged life and circumstances. He's put people in your way. He's brought wake-up calls your way. He has appointed this time for you today, now, as the time of salvation. Now is your time to place your trust 
in Jesus. So for some of you, you've been on the precipice of the biggest decision of your life. Now is the time to cross the threshold of faith in Jesus. An opportunity for you to step out and to embrace Jesus as your personal risen Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that even right now and to do so through a prayer. But I want to say to you that simply saying a prayer is not the whole point here. The prayer is just a means to an end. The prayer in itself is is not the power of salvation. It's what's behind the prayer because many of you have prayed. But what makes you a Christian is believing today through your prayer in who Jesus is and then trusting in what he did. So I'm going to ask you now in your heart to transfer all of your trust from yourself to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on your behalf when he paid the price and died on the cross for your sin. And if today you would like to trust Jesus as your Savior, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And let's pray that prayer of faith in your heart, even out loud. Say this prayer to God. Repeat after me. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you that he was resurrected to give me life. I'm a sinner. I've done what is wrong. Please forgive me. I believe in who Jesus is and I trust in what he did. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and make me a brand new person that I may live the rest of my life in relationship with you that I may follow you, that I may come to live your plan and your purpose for me, that I may grow as a Christian, and that one day when I die, you will take me to be with you in heaven forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you're a new creation. You're not the same person that you were. That because of your trust in Jesus and who he is and what he did, the risen Savior has now taken up residence in your life. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You've been born again spiritually. And just as a newborn baby is born physically who needs to be fed and nourished and cared for and grow, you need to grow as a new Christian. So I encourage you to let someone know, let us know. If you made that decision today, let us know about the decision you made. We would be honored to share some resources with you so that you could grow. You need to let someone know who'd be happy to hear this decision. Let uh, other people and friends or family know who'd be happy about your decision that you became a Christian. And then also become involved in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church so that you can grow in this new relationship. Always remember that nothing, because of the resurrection of Christ, there is nothing and no one that can ever snatch you out of the hands of Jesus, that you are his forever and ever. So thank you for joining us today. And I wanna close this service, this sermon with prayer 
right now. And I want to pray for all of us as we celebrate this Easter weekend. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you for the gift of your son. We ask that now on this Easter Sunday that you would renew our faith and you would renew our vision of what life means in Jesus, that we would follow him fully and authentically, that we would give ourselves with abandon to his purposes, that we would trust in him in times of chaos and crisis. Father, I pray that hope would rise up within us and that we would let that hope shine to others who need Jesus. We love you. We thank you for what the resurrection means to us. And we pray these things in the strong and mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.